0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. This is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and tell your friends. Coming up on today's show, Parliament resumes today in Ottawa, and there is a lot on the plate for the Prime Minister, including the latest from China, pipelines, economy, and such. Last week, two were arrested in Kingston. On terrorism charges, one was released. The update on that story coming up. And where does the McCallum shenanigans leave us with our relationship to China? More feet kissing? It's all coming up. Enjoy the show. Parliament resumes today in Ottawa in a new building. Even will that change the culture? It's an election year, so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, especially with what is happening. Uh, in China and our relations with them. And of course, uh, John McCallum uh, stepping aside over the uh, weekend after putting his uh, foot in his mouth a couple of times uh, and contradicting the uh, prime minister. Let's bring in Christo Avalis, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, postdoctoral fellow in history, University of Toronto. He's with us now. Christo, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Chris. What are your, What are your thoughts on uh, McCallum and and what transpired over the weekend and him putting his foot in his mouth and then backing it up and then doing it again? How do you process this?
1: Well, you know, I think you know his his job is to you know have good relations with China, and in that sense, the way he speaks to China um, matters and. I think, you know, to some degree, you know, your ambassador has to be able to schmooze a little bit. Now, where he got in trouble was that, you know, in very public ways and in repeated, you know, and repeatedly, he sort of publicly contradicted the government. You know, I'm sure ambassadors behind the scenes have often said, well, look, this is our public position. But, you know, maybe our private and maybe more earnest position is X, Y or Z But kind of. More than once getting caught contradicting the government and speaking of a matter that is kind of before the Canadian courts and therefore is maybe under the purview of the Minister of Justice um, was basically, you know, a lack of a lack of um, oversight on his part. And it was kind of infringing upon, you know, the jurisdictions of other people. And, and, and I mean, I, I think I saw no choice for him uh, but to resign uh, from my perspective.
0: Uh, how surprised are you, Christo, that he did this twice? I mean, uh, and, and you know, he talked about misspeaking, but he went on for forty minutes initially at the at the at the first uh, presser. Um, so, I mean, this is a seasoned politician. How could he make this mistake twice? I'm not sure.
1: I mean, I, and I mean that's that's why I think you know, despite having this important role and again being a, a fairly influential figure, he he resigned. But I'm guessing you know it was it was you know resign or or be removed type type thing. But it just it really is sort of baffling and again i think one of the challenges though is that maybe he felt well you know we're in this really for the first time maybe since the end of the cold war we're kind of re-entering a multipolar world right where it's not just the united states anymore increasingly china is becoming you know a superpower and the u.s is probably still number one of course but but china's at least entering the same league and so it could be the case that that the Canadian political system, and this maybe doesn't just refer to one political party, but refers to to all to our to the the Canadian state uh, broadly defined, is struggling with its place in this multipolar world. And and you know, with McCallum, you know, is that actually part of that? Or is it just you know uh, bad conduct on his part? We don't know. But I think that it, you know our our relationships with China and the United States are very important, and they're almost especially important when our relationships with China and the u.s kind of uh, intersect with one another and this was one of those instances
0: uh, some have suggested that you know he didn't dig this hole by himself do you think there's any chance that this is a trial balloon in some form and and what would be the advantage to that
1: well you know there is potentially I mean it, it, and I, don't, I don't know that would operate under the assumption that McCallum is kind of a a, 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 a fall guy if you will but yeah. I mean, you could you could you could try to t- and I don't know if anyone would take that. I mean, often people will, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll they'll step aside for a new party leader to run in a by-election, and there's usually something on the back end. You know, we can't call it that anymore in our, in, in 2018 or 2019, but um, you know, there's usually some value to falling on the sword. But I don't see it on a personal gain level for McCallum. You know, it could be the case, hypothetically at least, that you know having these discussions is is part of acknowledging China's part in the world is a way of of validating their feelings on this without having it be done through our formal systems. But to me, it just seems so inelegant, um, and it seems um, uh, so ham-fisted that I just I don't, I don't know if I would, I would associate that. To me, the most likely explanation is that McCallum you know, was trying to do his job in, in keeping strong relations just with China, but did so in a manner that undercut the credibility of our domestic legal system, and did that multiple times. So he had to go.
0: Uh, the fallout from this sort of thing. Um, what are your thoughts there, both from uh, from other parts of the world and and here?
1: Well, you know, it'll be interesting because I mean, it, it, you know, and I'm not a China expert, but if 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 McCallum is seen by the Chinese as a as a good ambassador, then his kind of removal slash resignation, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know now it's it the import, the appointment of an ambassador there is extremely important again you have to think like when you talk about countries where our ambassadorial appointments are are most important you might have to put china number 2 or maybe number 3 you know maybe after the united states or maybe something like england or the great britain it really is extremely important so the fallout there is you know the prime minister and his cabinet really have to make a a a a wise choice here about who is going to fill that role um, but it's also, you know, the the, the fallout could be uh, at home. If if this shows weakness on a foreign policy front, that could uh, offer opportunities for Trudeau to be attacked by the opposition, either the NDP or the Conservatives, saying, well, you know, it was it wasn't just a trip to India. Now it's you know, we have we have government appointees, you know, uh, contradicting themselves on the foreign, on the global stage, and why isn't there any, you know, consistent foreign policy lens by the government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that that could be the kind of both the, the international and domestic follow
0: Uh We're hearing today another Canadian detained there, apparently on fraud charges. How does this add to the discussion?
1: I mean, well, you know, I, I, w- I would never want to speak on, on individual charges, but it but, it, you know, there is a narrative out there that, you know, there is potential that some of this is being done in retaliation. At least that's a narrative that some people are floating, that Canada, you know, arresting the kind of Huawei uh, executive, um, whose, whose father is also an executive of the company and Huawei being one of China's kind of flagship companies, if you will, um, that the Chinese are retaliating in certain ways against the Canadian, uh, Canada via of Canadians living in China, and of course there are a good deal of Canadians who live in China. Um, I wouldn't want to speak on it too much further than that, but my hope is that, you know, this is dealt with through appropriate channels and that not, if, if the charges are um, legitimate here, that China operates um, in, in a fair manner and that the person uh, gets a, a fair trial. If not, I mean, my, my hope is that we could look by this because the difficulty here is that, you know, I, I don't think we arrested um, the you know, uh, uh, an executive without, without approval. But, you know, it doesn't help when Donald Trump will go in front of the media and basically insinuate that this is all part of his, like, tough negotiation with China. That doesn't set us up for, you know, a good discussion, and it makes our justice system, if fairly or not, look arbitrary. And, and, and maybe it gives China, uh, unfa- again, fairly or not, the kind of ability to say, well, if you're going to be arbitrary... Well, we're going to throw it right back at you.
0: I can't believe that John McCallum, in one of his three points on Friday uh, about how this could help uh, uh, stop the extradition process, was that Donald Trump was politicizing it, and that's exactly what he's done.
1: Well, yeah, no, true, but but you know that it, I mean that's a, that's an argument one could make. I mean, if you want to say that you know the merits of the case that there though there are kind of crimes committed. And what you would want to show to limit jurisdiction uh, to limit extradition would be the one challenge the charges or two, you could say that this is arbitrary. I'm being targeted. I'm in effect going to be a political prisoner if I'm sent to the United States. And again, whether Trump is just blustering or not, my inkling is that he probably would be blustering. It's it's Donald Trump, but it doesn't help. And, and it could actually cause that. The problem is, is that. With McCallum, it doesn't necessarily matter if what he's saying is accurate or not. He's if he's basically playing the role as the defense attorney in some ways uh, for a, a person who's uh, you know under arrest within Canada. And that because she's a key influential figure in China, the country he's an ambassador to, then that just creates a really bad look. And I think that's why he had to go because I think on that one he's actually one hundred percent true. Donald Trump has. At least ostensibly politicized this, and that could limit. That could be a tool used to by her her legal team to limit extradition.
0: Was was McCallum doubling down on what Trump said? So Trump said it. Now Canada has public, has politicized it. So therefore he's helping with that process. Is he not? He's helping. Uh, you know, he's pulling at the thread that Donald Trump. Uh, started and so now we have both the United States and Canada politicizing it.
1: I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe he's thinking right, if I if I lean into the political aspect,
0: would that, that be an advantage don't... to the Liberals, Christo? I mean, is that could that be like a backdoor plan here? Maybe. I mean, the backdoor plan. I mean, if you listen to some
1: major Liberal figures like John Manley, former Deputy Prime Minister and you know long influential federal Liberal MP, um, his 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 said he said. Suggested on the national media that Canada should have tipped her off so that she wouldn't have landed here. Yeah. He says that should have been the backdoor plan that 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 would have been done and say, "Oh, gee, I guess we we missed her." Type thing. <laughs> um, you know, that was the image that was kind of shocking in a way. But the reality is that I, I mean, I think honestly, I think McCallum just just didn't. <laughs> I don't know if he had that diabolical or that 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 calculated of a right. plan. I think maybe hypothetically say okay we're gonna lean into the political politicization lens here and we're going to say well if Trump's politicizing this we're going to attack him uh, on the politicization lens maybe Trump responds further and that kind of fight that kind of happens at this the presidential level really does kind of give give heed to uh, uh, you know legal officials in Canada that hey, maybe this is politically motivated instead of motivated by the merits of the case we oh. should like we should we should limit their extradition
0: all right mp's back to uh, parliament uh, a new temporary house of commons located in the newly refurbished west block while the iconic center block undergoes a uh, massive uh, renovations uh, say that's going to take 10 years will new digs kind of bring bring a different attitude or is this just going to be a firestorm when this starts
1: i think probably the latter i mean you know it's sharp actually I think they've done a good job designing it where it, 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 you know, it, it's obviously new and sharp, but it kind of retains the same general feel. So I think the, the design is great, but I think you know, this is the last kind of stretch we have before the election. I mean, Justin Trudeau said he's not going to call an early election. Um, he may well, but if we operate under the assumption that you know, we're looking at a fall election, then we have basically this spring session to sit in, and then at some point we'll have a summer period And then Justin Trudeau will probably call an election during the kind of late summer to line up with a kind of early fall election. So in this last term here, it's, you know, Justin Trudeau's last chance to go with his reshuffled cabinet and say, this is my team. I'm ready to go into government. I'm ready to kind of build on our four years. And this is the opposition's last chance to kind of hammer home on issues that are both long term and and more immediate that we we need to change. In direction, you know, either from the left or from the right. And I think that's kind of this, this last period. And again, we kind of saw that in Ontario in the last, uh, last year where there was that last legislative session where Kathleen Wynne proposed some new ideas. She proposed a new budget and, and obviously it didn't work for her, uh, needless to say. But there is that kind of last opportunity of the, of the legislative session that, that kind of almost is a prelude to
0: election. Uh, Sheer gave a speech yesterday, Andrew Sheer, and uh, trying to pump up the, the Conservatives, uh, said he's going to focus on the economy. Uh, what do you think this session will be like as it starts, and how much uh, will the, the McCallum issue that we've just been talking about, how much will it rear its ugly head?
1: I mean, I'm sure it'll come up, but I, honestly, I, I don't know if it'll be uh, an absolutely major issue. I mean, I think at core, you know, the things that are major issues are kind of the things that are always major issues. And those are, you know, the economy, jobs, social programs, right? So, uh, you know, things like housing, things that affect people in their day-to-day lives. Um, and there will be, you know, this is not to say that there won't be questions and question periods about, you know, uh, McCallum and his his, 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 you know, foot and mouth issue. But the reality is that I think from Sheer's perspective, he's going to want to talk about taxes. He's going to want to talk about, you know, carbon taxes and things like that. And, you know, from, you know, the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, he's running in a by-election, obviously, but the NDP is going to talk about housing and pharmacare and, 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 you know, probably taxation, but, but uh, specifically aimed at, at the wealthiest. And I think that those are going to be the primary issues. And I, I don't know if uh, Chinese politics will matter. But again, it really depends if, if it turns to more of a crisis level then maybe so. Or, for instance, if the economy takes a bit of a dip, Either the stock market or the job, like the job scene, or both, then the tone and the specific direction of critique will change. Because if the economy, on all the metrics, are strong, then you have to go a bit, a bit more abstract. But if you know we're facing a mini market crash like we did, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, and it kind of happens. You know, during this legislative session, you could be you could be sure that there'll be attacks on that specific issue.
0: You were talking about Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. Obviously, the by-election uh, coming up to get him in the House. Uh, over the course of the last week, we saw what happened in uh, in Venezuela and how uh, the the public is rallying against the the dictatorship there and what they feel is an un, uh, unfair election. A, a new Ah, uh, interim president installed himself and is 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 demanding or or trying to to get uh, democratic elections uh, moving. Uh, it appears the rest of the world, or most of the world, of our allies are supporting that. Uh, Jagmeet Singh spoke up uh, against the interim president and instead. Uh, put his support behind the Venezuelan dictator. How do you think that's going to play, especially well, with the by-election?
1: Back a little bit there. I would say one. I, I think it'll have little effect on on his by-election, uh, and whether you think that's a good thing or not. I, I don't. I don't think that's going to matter too much at a local by-election. But um, I think what what uh, what uh, Jagmeet Singh has said is that Canada has no you know need to either recognize either person as president. That the Venezuelans themselves must make this decision, and I think that's what's important. I think that. We're aligning with a couple powers, and I know these aren't the only people, but we're aligning with a Brazilian government who uh, is, is so homophobic that gay members of parliament, gay members of their legislatures are fleeing the country in fear. And we're aligning with the United States government that has invaded literally dozens of countries since the 1960s under the guise of freedom and democracy, rarely promoting either of those things. I mean, my father was an immigrant from Greece. Um, and he was one of many people who left directly or indirectly because of a U.S.-backed, supposedly anti-communist coup that created a 10-year dictatorship that was eventually thrown out. And I don't necessarily trust countries like Brazil and the United States to have a credible view on what are human rights and what are democracy in Latin America. So my position, and I guess Jagmeet's as well, is that we need to take a position that's perhaps a bit more Uh, recognition of the humanitarian crisis there and then rather than seek regime change find a way that we can find common ground between all parties there because it doesn't seem like the opposition leader wants to do that and frankly it doesn't seem like maduro wants to do that either so we need to find a way that works together because it seems like right now united states um appointing certain advisors on this who have taken pretty pretty ugly roles in the 60s and 70s um you know, doesn't want the peaceful regime change that I think is being implied.
0: Uh, but at the end of the day, is he still not supporting a a dictator as opposed to someone who is looking to, I mean, it's an interim thing and, until another democratic election can be held?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the one question we could ask is hypothetically, Canada, you know, we didn't support the Iraq war in 2004. Most democratically elected countries didn't. Yet I think few of us would say we supported Saddam Hussein. So when we're not calling for active regime change, it doesn't necessarily mean we support the status quo. It just means we don't see active regime change imposed or supported through, through foreign invent, intervention as the right way forward, right? You know, that's, I think, what the issue is right now. So I think that that's the perspective we're looking at, is that is this the best way forward, Canada and the United States, uh, countries that have had some pretty ugly histories in Latin America. You know, our mining companies do not always conduct themselves with the greatest of dignity uh, towards indigenous people, towards women, towards workers in Latin America. The United States has its own history. We have a deeply, deeply right-wing conservative government in Brazil um, that goes beyond, sorry, right-wing conservatism, but really does trend towards fascism. And I have no qualms with using that term on, on radio when I refer to Brazil. I don't use that term lightly. Um, so I do not, frankly think we have credibility, Canada or the United States or Brazil when it comes to advocating for regime change. And I think that's just frankly the case. So I don't think that, I think Jagmeet Singh's position is the correct one, which is a nuanced one. Maduro is a thug, but I don't know if the opposition is any better.
0: Christo Abeliz has been with us, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, postdoctoral fellow in history at the University of Toronto. Christo, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in David Harris, Insignia Strategic Group. He's a terrorism expert. Lots to talk to him about. Last week, you might remember a story breaking. Uh, two people, this out of Kingston. Remember earlier on, about a week before this, people were, what's that plane that's buzzing around Kingston? And the story kind of never went anywhere. And then, lo and behold, we find out that uh, RCMP arras- arrested two uh, last week Uh One, they actually kept charged with uh, terrorism-related offenses. The other one was released. Uh, What do we know about that? I want to ask David in regard to this. And specifically as well, what is happening with China and uh, how things have changed since uh, John McCallum, uh, for the second time, put his foot in his mouth, this time costing him his job. David, thanks so much for the time. Much
2: appreciated. Oh, good to talk to you, Scott.
0: Let's start with uh, the McCallum issue. We saw how this sort of materialized over the end of last week and the weekend and such. What are your thoughts? Can you believe that this man put his foot in his mouth twice?
2: Well, he's had an uneven history. He's obviously a brilliant individual, a brilliant economist, a really accomplished academic. But uh, his past history has been fraught with some uh, uneven behavior and uh, observations.
0: But still, he must know the consequences of saying such things. I mean, he basically accused Donald Trump of politicizing the whole Huawei CFO extradition, and then he
2: did the exact same thing twice. Oh, uh, let me be somewhat more blunt. I mean, he was, in effect, whatever his intention was, uh, giving uh, a kind of legal advice in the running of a a uh, court case, or an expected court case, uh, and that advice was going to wind up benefiting our strategic adversary, in old speak, uh, enemy of Canada. So uh, this cannot be described in light terms. As you say, uh, he was suggesting that the uh, proceedings involved in the expected extradition case against Meng, uh, CFO of uh, Huawei the Chinese company that uh, has been a matter of national security, concern to Canadians, uh, Americans, and any number of others. Um, Well, he was suggesting, it seemed to me what he was saying, that uh, this was essentially a political kind of activity rather than a judicial one that uh, sees her possibly facing extradition and uh, was providing advice. Now, I mean, as a lawyer, I'm here to tell you that... uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, McCallum's remarks will come back to haunt the uh, federal uh, government representatives who are going to have to defend the federal government's position. Do in you think that was his
0: plan all along, David? Because many have said that he didn't dig this hole by himself. There were other shovels involved.
2: Is this floated as a trial balloon in any way? Well, some people seem to suggest that uh, the uh, federal government itself, Mr. Trudeau, and his uh, regime will uh, have favoured this, because, uh, again, to use the words of Mr. McCallum, I guess, on Thursday, in yet another disaster, uh, he said it would be great, was the word he used, I believe, for Canada, were uh, the extradition issue to go away, and uh, uh the thing is that once you have said the kinds of things that Mr. McCallum said in giving what I was uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek referring to as uh, legal advice to uh, Huawei and China and so on, once you've said that, it cannot go unsaid again. So it colors or could color legal proceedings, and it could leave any judge sitting on the case with uh, a reasonably fair and reasonable perception that uh, this is not really a valid use of the relevant extradition treaty and arrangements. So this was serious stuff. Now, it also raises other questions, including um, ones long held by some individuals in Canada and elsewhere, uh, to the effect that Mr. McCallum may uh, be so carried away by his uh, enthusiasm. Some of them, some of the enthusiasms, understandable for China that uh, his judgment was off. And, uh, uh, you know, that that's that's a real issue. And there's a CBC report from 2017 when he was appointed ambassador to China where he pointed to his wife uh, and the articles quoted as saying who is Chinese and to constituents in his Markham Thornhill riding, many of whom are also of Chinese descent. He uh, has underscored the fact that uh, I guess all three of his sons are married to Chinese women. Uh, and the quotation attributed to him is, so, in my personal life, in my work life, and with visits to China, I have lived and breathed things Chinese for a long, long time, Unquotes. Well, it's all very appealing and romantic in many ways, but does it suggest the kind of objective distance uh, that one would need as a bona fide representative of the Canadian? interest, economic, national security, and other in this kind of situation, which in turn then gets us back to a fundamental question. Was this individual, regardless of all his demonstrable gifts, a suitable candidate for the ambassadorial post of Canada in Beijing in the first place? Was this not in some regard uh, almost eminently foreseeable? Now, you know, others may have more uh, cynical views. They may ask about whether this gets us in some way into the realm of the uh, CSIS Act and uh, Section 2B on influence operations, I don't see any evidence for that and I'm not suggesting that there is any evidence for that, but it's the kind of confusion that does arise in these matters when we make poor selections in the first place of some of our representatives.
0: How much damage has been done here? Could this work to our advantage or is this just bad? And I guess work to our advantage in the sense that we're out of it, Uh, perhaps because all of this uh, politicalization, uh, she's not going to be extradited. Would that work to our advantage?
2: Well, it's hard to see how much of this could work to our advantage. Um, It's been a shambolic situation and process, the credibility of the government, independent of the narrow relationship between China and Canada has been very much brought into doubt. I mean, we look like at best amateur hour, and at worst as though uh, we may have people somewhere in Ottawa who may be more sensitive to the interests of the Chinese government and possibly to their own future economic interests, personal economic interests. I mean, this is a kind of, as I say, of confusion that arises. Who's working for whom in what context? And this is a question that one should ask in relation, of course, to... Uh, any comparable situations involving other countries, other representatives, uh, and so on? Uh, Is there a risk that people could inadvertently, as the old expression had it, go native, where they begin to associate so strongly with a foreign power or entity that it may be that the interests of Canada itself start to lapse? And above all, think about some of our allies. Um, The United States has an entitlement, as any kind of extradition treaty partner with Canada would have, to see that the process unfolds in a methodical, proper way. And people in that regard have quite reasonably criticized one remark that Mr. Trump himself made uh, weeks ago, you remember, when he seemed to suggest mm. that if the stars aligned in a certain way then possibly he himself might look at uh, i don't know uh, giving up the extradition process or coming to some kind of treaty or sorry some kind of uh, economic terms with uh, with China which was uh, unwise to say the very least because of course it introduced the idea that there could be more to this whole process than mere legalities Uh, but when you then have Canada's own ambassador uh, wading in uh, up to his neck in the situation in a way that suggests that possible political element it just reinforces the whole potential for the view of this by allies and others as uh, and I hesitate to say it but it's really the only word as a corrupt exercise Um, one that is a political negotiating effort masquerading as legal process. And that harms our reputation for rule of law, uh, the uh, credibility of courts, and the judicial system in general.
0: So what about this latest Canadian, uh, a 61-year-old that was detained again after all of this stuff broke? Are these Is this related in any way? How much information do we know about this other detainee?
2: You know, the very question uh, gets you back to the problem in dealing with a jurisdiction like China. And of course, China is not alone in this kind of regard. I and mean, You can look at Russia and other such entities because they have no credible police or judicial system, as we would understand that, and have therefore no rule of law as we would understand it. We we don't know. And and it's it's frankly a stern warning and reminder to us in Canada and in the West about how important it is to preserve the credibility of those systems, because once that's lost, that credibility, then everything's open to question and doubt. And so, for example, with China, uh, you know, unless you were born yesterday, uh, you wouldn't fail to see the correlation between the arrest of this individual where there appear to be monumental financial stakes, quite possibly overlapping interests of uh, the Chinese government and or influential people within China and the party. So, you know, is, is this uh, a mere uh, exercise of uh, proper police powers, given what we would or normally understand as appropriate criminal law? Or is it just that they have grabbed somebody Uh, in order to take them as a hostage, another of the Chinese government political kidnappings, and extort from Canada, from who knows whom else, some kind of concessions, uh, which in this case could, uh, according to suspicions, be the release of Ms. Meng. Uh, Again, once you have uh, a a seriously flawed judicial and police system, let alone uh, absent rule of law, you just don't know. So it's entirely reasonable for people to be concerned about this. We've seen past Chinese practice. We, uh, of course, have seen that we have two other Canadians immediately possibly implicated in this sort of thing. It, it's a real challenge.
0: And apparently we don't even know his full name at this point.
2: Well, that's it. Uh, you know, and yet again, isn't that yeah. typical mm-hmm. of this kind of regime? Ordinarily, if you're going to be charged with something, uh, you're identified and it's out in the public.
0: All right. Uh, let's talk about the Kingston scenario. Uh, we remember last week there were uh, complaints that a plane was buzzing around, which makes you wonder, David, uh, how good is a surveillance a surveillance plane if everybody below you knows it knows that something's going on up there? <laughs> uh, that being said, it eventually led to uh, uh, two arrests in in Kingston. One, of course, uh, a, a charge, uh, two terrorist related charges. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Why do we not know more? It seems this was a big story, and then boom, off the pages.
2: Well, I guess you're virtually into that uh, famous realm in law called sub judice. In, in other words, uh, uh, you're you're into a kind of a court process, and uh, the crown can't very well say anything in detail because it could compromise the process itself, including the rights of the uh, accused or any future accused. There's also, in this context, one presumes, and I don't know, one presumes a, an intelligence element, a counterterrorism element, but the intelligence aspect of that, where it may be that authorities in Canada and beyond are uh, still trying to put together what exactly, if any, this case amounts to. Um, so, you know, we had seen the uh, urgency involved it appeared from what the uh, police press conference was indicating last week of moving in and grabbing some people raiding uh, residences i think uh, at least two uh, you know given that uh, how much uh, had the investigative intelligence side really thoroughly been resolved the way the authorities would have wanted by the time they had grabbed people, or was their hand forced in some way? Um, And, and, you know, that will get back to questions about uh, how sudden the FBI warning may have been to uh, the authorities. As you said, uh, for a matter of weeks, there certainly was an aircraft flying around Kingston, uh, care of the RCMP. So that suggests there was some element of warning. There was one interesting thing that I, I don't think I heard any media catch in the course of the police press conference last week, and uh, one of the RCMP officers used the word disruption, um, I think, as he was portraying the way they would had to handle things. Uh, Disruption to you or me may be a relatively simple and common word. In this context, and since the uh, amendments to the Anti-Terrorism Act uh, during the Harper government period disruption has become a kind of term of art or at least increasingly has become because in the CSIS Act there's now a threat reduction consideration or provision that authorizes the authorities to move under certain conditions to quote well disrupt or reduce a threat and it was interesting that they use that term and it may have indicated again we don't know that there was a certain suddenness about the requirement to intervene. In other words, they felt perhaps that they could no longer um, quietly gather the kind of intelligence that they would have wanted in working up, first of all, their general understanding of what was going on, who the players were, and secondly, uh, to anticipate any actual violence. They may have, back to that idea, that they may have felt their hand was forced It'll also be interesting to find out what the nature, if we ever will, of the FBI intervention might have been that seems to have kicked off the uh, Canadian concern, Um, and what the background would have been to the information that the FBI itself had. Uh, Was it the result in whole or part of um, communications intelligence interception, perhaps involving the National Security Agency, the premier western communications interception and signals intelligence organization again we may never know that part but it is fascinating to be reminded of the possibilities of our being able to rely on allies including allies with a mammoth globe girdling Mm. intelligence capability and how you don't want to fall onto the wrong side of that um as a as a country that's worried about its reliability and reputation for reliability.
0: Should we be doing more to protect ourselves instead of relying on the United States or the FBI? I mean, in the end, will we learn more? Will this be a lone wolf, another disenfranchised individual who acted alone? I mean, how how do you package this?
2: Um, Well, again, in part, you get back to the issue of what is a lone wolf as commonly understood. Uh, We know what the stereotypical perception is. But uh, some have actually gone so far as to ask, is there any such thing as a lone wolf? Uh, By which I think they're just trying to make the point that with certain extremist and terroristic tendencies, and here the one theorized, of course, is uh, Islamist operation, then uh, you could say that some of these individuals are certainly in their own minds part of a broader uh, world movement. They may even consider themselves soldiers of uh, an army. Uh, that is represented worldwide. What I'm about that?
0: This individual, uh, part of a family that came over with uh, the Syrian refugee program?
2: Well, that, of course, looms large because uh, in any rational national system and debate, we would want to understand better, of course, uh, you know the the background, any ideological background, and so on. And it is not really a complete answer. Or those in authority, as they inevitably seem to do, to say, "Oh, it's, it's okay. We have a prodigious screening system." Because the problem is, well, what are you screening for? You can screen for certain things, if, and that, this is maybe an heroic assumption, if you're able to get relevant records and witnesses and so on. But if you're coming from a jurisdiction that's just one piece of chaos, mm. uh, as Syria has been in certain areas. Then you know what good is. What kind of screening can you meanfully meaningfully give? And then, as an important subsidiary part of that, um, how, how can you really? I mean, how can officials, straight-facedly, from prime ministers on down, say to you, um, "We also know that there is no propensity for extremism in family A or B or family member A or B." Um, in the old days, uh, maybe there were bad old days in some ways, but you used to be able to have people, you know, sat down with and discuss things at length. It was still not foolproof, foolproof. But um, uh, in this day and age, can you imagine somebody, a uh, representative of the Canadian government, sitting down and saying, okay, you're coming from this jurisdiction. We know in this jurisdiction we have a problem with uh, Islamic extremism and terrorism. Um, Let me ask you some questions relating to your uh, Mm. religious philosophy, if any. Um, You know, how is that? Can you imagine the explosion of objection and so on? Uh, You go to, say, Northern Ireland, you see somebody who's been heavily involved, or their family's been heavily involved in an area known for Protestant or Catholic extremism. Can you imagine sitting down and Mm. saying? So we're in a real bind, and it gets back to that really difficult question that few people seem inclined to ask, honestly which is uh, what exactly are we testing for? And it's one reason why many people say we shouldn't be in the business of uh, mass migratory movements at this point in our history, rather smaller ones where we can reliably mm. um, assimilate and take in people. And there's, there's an even bigger issue that I'll just highlight briefly. And that is, Real quick. if you look at statistical studies, it's long been known that the easiest and cheapest way to help people is to leave them in the broader region from which they have escaped uh, you know actual violence leave them in that broader region fund them, assist them there, they're near their culture, Mm. their economic roots, religious roots, and so on, that won't represent any kind of internal threat to Canada or economic destruction. David, i got to cut
0: you off there. We're simply out of time. David Harris with us in Cigna Strategic Group. He's a terrorism expert. David, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to continue to talk about uh, of course the government getting back to work today. MPs uh, sitting again and it's going to be uh, uh, quite a time for uh, our Prime Minister as he deals with lots of of issues on his plate, including uh, the McCallum issue with China, just to mention uh, the latest. Let's bring in Michael Diamond, conservative political pundit. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
3: Oh, Thanks for having
0: me. Uh, MPs back today. Everybody's back in order uh, as we head into a fall election, it looks like in October. Uh, How big will this McCallum issue be in the next couple of days in the House? You know,
3: I, I think it will be big for a few reasons. One, obviously, China is such a ginormous uh, trading partner and important, uh, important player on the international stage, and in then it involves uh, the United States and technology. It, it's a, a story that I think will be of political interest, uh, but it's also of interest because John McCallum was a political appointment as ambassador to uh, the United States, uh, oh, sorry, to China, which uh, would make him, you know, he's more more notar- not- notable to the Canadian media and the Canadian public than a standard member of the uh, diplomatic corps. So John McCallum, having profile of his own, having been a guy who had been in the House of Commons starting in 2000 and in the public eye for nearly 20 years, will bring his own level of uh, curiosity.
0: Um, Sheer in his speech yesterday, before uh, get rallying the troops before uh, today, said he starts painting a picture of uh, of the Prime Minister. That the the image is more, uh, there seems to be more image than substance. Will that stick during this session, especially
3: with these sort of troubles we're seeing? Well look, I think that, you know, the last election the Conservative uh put as the ballot question, is Justin Trudeau as one of the ballot questions, is Justin Trudeau ready to be Prime Minister? And Canadians voted yes. But I think since that time he's actually proven to them in many cases that maybe Stephen Harper's campaign asked a legitimate question and he wasn't quite ready. And and I think that's why this will uh take potentially take hold and be an issue, uh, because of the disappointment that Justin Trudeau has been to voters, especially on foreign policy matters i think you know there was that initial optimism, Canada's back, and uh, people were writing about our wonderful Prime Minister with nice hair, uh, and since that time we have soured relationships with the United States, we have soured relationships with India, we have soured relationships with China under his watch. Three of the most important players on the world stage right now whose relationships are worse today than they were when when, uh, um, Justin Trudeau took over from Stephen Harper.
0: Can Justin Trudeau sell that feeling again, that that warm and fuzzy, the sun ways can he sell image in the selfie or does he have to produce results
3: uh, you know, it's not an either-or situation, uh, which is unfortunate for Andrew here. So I don't think he can he he cannot get reelected based on the fact that uh, he's going to offer a kinder, gentler Canada with nice hair and uh, you know and hope and hard work and optimism. And that won't work again uh, because that only works if you're replacing if you're running against someone who's an incumbent who has people feeling a little bitter about the country. Uh, so he doesn't have that going for him this time. But what? Uh, but but on the other side. He he might not need something like that because of the mess that the new Democrats find themselves in, which will not create uh, enough uh, splits of the center and the central left to see Andrew Shear become prime minister. Um,
0: so your thoughts on what McCallum did over the last couple of days? I mean, this guy's a seasoned politician. He's been around the block a few hundred times. Um, are you surprised he put his foot in his mouth twice?
3: I'm actually not, because it's John McCallum. And we saw this over the course of his nearly 18-year or 20-year career in the House of Commons uh, when he was a minister under Khrushchev and he had to apologize uh, after a really unfortunate incident on, on an Air Canada flight. You know, John McCallum, when he came in, when he was recruited to run in Markham Unionville, uh, or it was just Markham at the time, a writing he didn't live in, but he was such a stark candidate, they put him there and was high on the Liberal hit list because the progressive Conservatives had, was the only writing that they won in the previous election. 1997, so they went out and recruited an all-star like John McCallum, who was uh, uh, chief economist to uh, the Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, they found the best guy for that riding, who also had deep roots in the Chinese community, and, and he won, and he had this profile, and he was an up-and-comer and a star, and then he sort of fell flat, and he was a bit of a disappointment to the cabinet minister. Um, he I was a little surprised when Justin Trudeau put him back in when he was uh, elected in 2015 um, uh, as a immigration minister, I thought he would have looked for younger, fresher blood. So John McCallum sort of had a career in politics that has left a little bit to be desired.
0: Did he dig this hole himself? Were there others there? Many have suggested this was even a case of floating a trial balloon.
3: Oh, you know, failures never uh, failure in this regard is never the fault of one individual either. So, so I think so, and he very well could have been uh, following direction or suggestions from his political bosses in Canada. Uh, either way, should have happened. He, uh, if he was, if he was, if he was encouraged to go down this route, uh, he he should have pushed back, uh, threatened resignation, because um, where where we find ourselves today uh, could have been avoided with a little adult supervision. <laughs>
0: uh- (laughs) Uh, Will this be an election issue in the fall, or do you think this is too inside politics?
3: Probably not. I think it is. uh, It's one, it's too technical, uh, you know. it might be part of a broader issue with Justin Trudeau uh, said Canada's back, and and what that means is we have worse relationships with three of the biggest players on the global stage right now. So as part of a broader uh, global more global issue, sure, this can play into it, but uh, John McCallum's poor performance as ambassador will swing precisely zero votes.
0: Uh, will, will the Conservatives actually go back to, see, we told you, he's not ready.
3: You know, I think it would be a very uh, great ad campaign to see with uh, you know them posing the question and showing the failure and the disappointment and the last lack of action uh, that uh, this Prime Minister said. I think, you know, buyer's remorse might be a very wise campaign tactic for the
0: Tories. Is it me or has there been a lack of action here? Again, to me, this all seems about it's all about being a front man. It's all about selling the image. See, we all feel great. We're great. We're Canadians. Everybody's happy. As opposed to substance, I mean, to me, this—I'm—I'm I'm really identifying with that. Will—will will other Canadians that I realize so. that although this has felt good and it looks good, we—we we really haven't accomplished anything here. We can't get a pipeline built. We're screwing relations with China, America, the same. I mean,
3: where's we the legalized results? cannabis because he wanted to? But you can't well, there's one. Legal, there's but one. You can't, but you still can't buy legal cannabis. That's a good point. Uh, This—that was going to be the last uh, last election we had on uh, first past the post yeah. uh, voting system the man has failed to deliver even when he delivers it's bungled uh so i think i think it, it's a very uh you know I, I don't think it's you and i don't think it's me i think it's out there that folks do see justin trudeau he came in with a lot of promise he came in uh, strong performer great communicator um uh, but you know barack obama was a strong performer and a great communicator also but he also was able to get and i didn't like them some things done
0: What about the NDP? We've only got a little bit of time left. Jagmeet Singh, everybody else coming out and supporting the interim president of Venezuela. Uh, The last election, uh, pretty shady dictator in there. Uh, And Jagmeet Singh steps up and says, you know, uh, I'm not jumping in with the crowd here. I'm not going to support this interim president. I'm going to support the dictator. How does that play?
3: And shameful. And you know what? And he even attacked our Prime Minister, who was right on this. And the Prime Minister deserves, uh, on on matters of foreign policy um, uh, and, and supporting international uh, democracy internationally, deserves the support of all Canadians. So even I'll stand with our Prime Minister on this one, because he did the right thing and he was right to do the right thing. Uh, Jagmeet Singh proves something, that he hates Donald Trump more because he said that the prime minister was agreeing with Donald Trump. So he hates Donald Trump more than he loves freedom for Venezuelans. And that is disgusting and unexcusable.
0: Michael Diamond is with his conservative political pundit. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. This is the Scott Thompson podcast available on Apple podcast and Google podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson and thanks for listening.